keep with me. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Joseph's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this, that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In mm. that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that thou that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is. Somebody say, now is. Now is. <laughs> when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. We want to talk to you this morning about this topic, authentic worship authentic worship you may be seated in the presence of God Lord speak your servants listen and we'll be careful to give you the praise in Jesus name amen amen 
This morning's worship was wonderful. We, we worshiped, we lifted our hands. I also wanted to say thank you to Mia because most of you might not know this about Mia. Most of you do, that you hardly ever see Mia. When you see a crowd, Mia fades into the crowd. She is not uh, an extrovert. And so it takes everything out of her being to stand in front of pe people. And today on our 14th birthday, we asked Mia to sing. And you don't know how big a deal that is. That's a big deal for Mia. <laughs> Most people will ask, I see your other two kids. Where's Mia? She's somewhere behind a camera, uh, behind a computer, somewhere where people are not looking at her. But she was brave enough to do that today. Give her a hand for that. As we are in our authentic church series this week, and for the next several weeks, I was listening to what the Lord was putting on my heart as I studied the scriptures, and I wanted to put this particular sermon in a way that we could all understand. Many of us hear the word worship, and the first thing we do, we think about church, and we put up our hands. But I, I want you to think in, in today's terms, because this is a word that uh, goes throughout the culture right now. The word is called podcast. What is a podcast, Pastor? If you don't know what a podcast is, a podcast or what are doing away with what we call linear television. Most people that are my age down no longer watch regular TV on the regular TV stations. We look at YouTube and we look at Spotify and we look at Apple and iTunes. That's why our sermons are on all of those platforms because there's an entire generation who has shifted their focus from televisions to podcasts. They have podcasts for everything and millions of people around the world spend thousands of hours listening to podcasts. What is a podcast? A podcast is basically a format where people have a conversation and you get to listen in on the conversation that they are having, hoping that that conversation in some way will enrich your life, hoping in some way that you will extrapolate some principles from that podcast. It, be it enlightenment, be it entertainment, be it encouragement, be it information, no matter the agenda, all who listen to podcasts seek to be enriched by simply sitting in on a conversation. Although podcasts are taking over the communication space, the concept is not new. Many times we have this thought that, and I know kids have this, that everything they do is new and their parents are old and they don't know anything that's going on and that their parents are irrelevant and their parents are fading. All of us think that until we become the parents. <laughs> and we realize that although times are changing, some things are not new. For Jesus made podcasts over 2,000 years ago because we see in this text, although there are no sure mics, there are no black magic podcasting equipment, there are no cannons or Panasonic cameras there, Jesus has the written word of God and he allows us this morning to sit in on a conversation. He allows us to sit in on this conversation, and our text takes us to the pivotal point of this conversation, and we watch this morning as Jesus has a conversation between himself and a woman who is from Samaria. 
Now, when you read this, if you don't know your Bible history, that's okay. But there are several things that are wrong with this story already because she should never be on Jesus' guest list. Why? Because Samaritans lived in the north. And when Israel was split, it split in two kingdoms, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And when Judah was in the south, they left two kingdoms to the north. And when they came back from exile, they mixed among those people and they were not purebred Jews and they did not worship in Jerusalem. They did not go see God at the temple as they were trained to do. They stayed in a place called Samaria. And Samaria was a place where Samaritans lived, and Jews did not like Samaritans. They considered them half-breeds, so much so that simply to be able to travel for where Jesus was going at the time, Jesus could have taken uh, a shorter amount of time going through Samaria, but if Jesus was the average Jew, the average Jew decided that they did not like Samaritans so much that Samaritans so much that they would go around the city and it would take them four total days to go around the city just so they didn't have to come in contact with a Samaritan. They were racially divided. Cousins, but racially divided. They were divided over how they lived and how they acted. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And they were racially divided in how they worshiped. They sound like America, don't they? That's why I'm glad for this church, because we have everybody here. Everybody here can feel at home. If you can't feel at home in this church, you must be from Mars, because we got somebody of everybody in this building on most Sundays, and we're glad for that, and that's how the church should be. But that's not how it was at the time. The Samaritans were there, and Jesus says, if you look at the old King James, I like what it says. It says that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. In other words, that Jesus had a need to go into Samaria. Jesus had a need to go into the place where most Jews didn't want to go. Jesus had a need to go into a place where most Jews would turn their nose up at or would not even allow the dust from Samaria to touch their feet because they would think that it was unholy. So this morning we see Jesus in an unlikely place. Everybody say unlikely place. Not only do we see Jesus at an unlikely place, but he's in a desert climate. And the Bible says, pay attention when the Bible says something, because it's letting us know something. The Bible doesn't say anything by accident. It says it by intent and design. And the Bible is is specific to let you know that it is the sixth hour of the day. Why is the sixth hour of the day important? Because you are in the desert and the sixth hour of the day is noon. When is the hottest time of the day? <laughs> See, in Samaritan culture and in most cultures during that day, people would come around a well, and the well was where they got water to wash their clothes, water to feed themselves and to drink water, to cook, and it was a social standing. And Jesus would come to those places. At this point in the middle of the day, it was actually peculiar. You know why? Because people who came to the well either came in the morning or the evening because it was cooler. Nobody would be at the well in the middle of the day. So where we see Jesus in this unlikely place at an unlikely time sitting on a well while his disciples go into town to find food and supplies. So now we find Jesus in an unlikely place. Somebody say it again, unlikely place. We find him at an unlikely time. Somebody say unlikely time. 
<laughs> and not only do we see him in an unlikely place at an unlikely time, we see him talking and having an unlikely interaction. Why? Because it is unheard of for men to be caught talking to women during that day. Uh, it's not what I say. It's the culture of the day. There were people that would say, Lord, I thank you that you have not made me a woman. That was said constantly in that, 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 that uh, genre, in that area of time. Pastor didn't say that. Don't get mad at me. But they would say that men didn't talk to women during, openly during the day. It was considered disgraceful. So here we have Jesus talking to a woman in the middle of the day who's at the well. But come here. Some of my theologians have already put your thinking caps on. If they are in an unlikely place at an unlikely time and nobody's supposed to be at the well, well, why is she at the well? Why is she coming to the well in the middle of the day? <laughs> why is she going to see her friends in the morning and her family in the evening? Why is she not socializing among everybody else? Why is it that she's at the well during this peculiar time? And, and as we begin to see into, the con into the, to this conversation, into this spiritual podcast, the Bible says that Jesus looks at the woman who's at the well, and I can imagine Jesus, Jesus giving a, a nice smile to the woman and looking at her, a woman he didn't know, in a place he wasn't supposed to be, at a time he wasn't supposed to be there, with a person he wasn't wasn't supposed to be with. Thank you, Jesus. And looking at her and saying, give me something to drink. We already know the sage is set for something that's going to happen because we know, Jesus, you're not supposed to be here in this place at this time with this person. Why would you ask this person who you are not supposed to even be speaking with? One, because she's a Samaritan. Two, because she's a woman. Why would you ask her to give you something to drink? And this woman would know that this is something that is precarious in her position because she's not supposed to be talking to Jesus. So verse 10 says this, verse 9, it says, how is it that you being a Jew would ask me for a drink a Samaritan woman for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans we're going to get to worship in a second the woman said to him sir <laughs> he says uh, I want to tell you something you're not supposed to be talking to me Jesus you're not supposed to be dealing with my kind aren't you so glad that all of us were the kind that Jesus wasn't supposed to be dealing with <laughs> but he met us in an unlikely place. <laughs> he met us in an unlikely time, <laughs> and he found an unlikely sinner, and he reached down and picked you up and saved your soul. Aren't you glad that Jesus reached you at a place where nobody else would go to get you, where nobody else would go to Samaria and go in to find the lost? Jesus went and found them. I've come to talk to somebody in this building and on this online today to let you know that no matter where you are, you might think you're unlikely to get saved. You might think that your history and your past say that there's nothing that God could do for you, but I've come to tell you there is no place, there is no time, and there is no person that the Father will not reach out to to save. 
Jesus looks at the woman who told him, how are you talking to me? And Jesus replies to her. She says, that's silly. Sir, you don't even have anything to draw with. And the well is deep. Why did she say that to him? Because when she says, don't talk to me or you shouldn't be talking to me, he says, if you knew the gift of God. In other words, if you knew who was in your presence. If you knew who it was that says to you to give you a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That's that's a good thing, because if you understand what a well is, a well is not living water. A well is stagnant water. It may be produced from a stream up underneath, but living water flows and it never ceases. And it is in a more pure form than just getting it out of any old rain water well. And what Jesus is saying is what you are trying to get in the natural. I have something spiritual to give you that won't compare to what you're trying to get. You really think that it's this water keeping you alive but you are being uh, kept alive by my very presence and my very breath and if you knew the gift that I had given to you if you knew that I put breath in your bodies if you knew that I had made your heart beat if you knew uh, that I had put breath in your lung you would ask of me to give you my very essence and I would give you life more abundantly because no matter how much water you drink here be it dishoney be it whatever you want Fuji water you can go get all sorts the fancy waters, but one day you won't be able to drink enough water to sustain your life, but I know somebody who can give you a water that even after this body fades away, you can live forever. He says, I have water to give you. I want to give you some living water. And this woman says to him after he told her he who drinks of what I give him will never thirst again. If I give you this water, you shall never thirst. The woman says something peculiar to him. She says, sir, give me that water that I might not thirst nor come here to draw. See, her mind is still set on temporal things. Her mind is still set on fleshly things. That's why we're in the season of fasting. Because do you not know that God can say something to you And when you're sitting in your flesh, you can't hear what he has to say. (laughs) He says one thing and you hear another. (laughs) But when you get your flesh out of the way, when God speaks, it's not always about everybody else getting right. Sometimes it's about you getting right. (laughs) It's not about everybody else pulling off stuff. Sometimes it's about you pulling off stuff. And that when you really are in tune with God and get your flesh out of the way, you can hear what he has to say to you. And Jesus says this. She says, I want some of this water. And Jesus says, I'm glad you asked. Go call your husband. Who Jesus? And come here. Now we see Jesus in an unlikely place. At an unlikely time. Having an unlikely interaction with an unlikely person. Talking to a Gentile and a woman. But also a woman with a questionable life. Let me put it in plain English. She has, she's had five husbands, and she's shacking with number six. Guess she got tired of getting married. She's just living with whoever she can now. By society, now we find out why she's at the well in the middle of the day. Because no respectable person could be seen with her. No respectable person could be around her. No respectable person 
could be found with this type of person. I've come to tell you that there are millions of people who fit that description today and you feel like Jesus can't find you. I've come to tell you that Jesus, just like he made a special trip to Samaria, he made a special trip from heaven to earth just for you. So that he could find you with a needle in your arm. He could find you in a bed you shouldn't be in. He could find you confused about your gender. He could find you confused about your sexuality. He could find you addicted to drugs. He could find you in prison. He could find you homeless. He could find you restless. He could find you promiscuous in a place where the church doesn't want to touch you. And he could find you and meet you right where you are and bring you out and say, I know that the church says they don't want to do anything to do with you. I know that respectable religious folks don't want anything for you, but I came to you at an unlikely place. I came to you at an unlikely time in an unlikely location. Why? Because I knew nobody would be here but you, and I didn't come initially just for them. I came because I know your name. Because he already knows what's going on. Because he says, go and find your husband. Yeah. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you have spoken the truth, for you've had high five. And the one you have now is not yours. Now, she does what everybody does when they get convicted by their sin. She starts to default to religion. <laughs> what do you mean, Pastor? See, there are a lot of people that default to religion. They don't mind going to church. They just don't mind getting. They don't want to get the living water. They'll go fill up a church that looks like a church. <laughs> They'll go fill up a place and have conversations about religion. But when they get into places that challenge them to make them better so they can truly have what Jesus has for them, they decide that they don't want that kind of water. Because Jesus says, if you really want the water that I have to give, you're going to have to examine your life. Go get your husband. Notice I like what, the way he did it. He didn't beat over the head and say, you know you're shacking. You know you're doing this. You know you're doing that. What he did, he just asked a simple question. Sometimes you got to ask people questions. You want what I have to get? Go get your husband. <laughs> I don't have a husband. That's right. You don't have a husband. You can't get the water that I have. You live in any old kind of way, living the life you want to live. If you want my water, you have to do it my way. So she defaults to religion. She says, oh, I got a prophet in the house. You know my business. And they, they decided to default on religion. And she says this. She says that our fathers worshiped on this mountain. See, she, she switches the conversation. See, people are happy and comfortable in certain churches and with certain people because there's no challenge to change. But I've come to let you know that what doesn't challenge you will not change you. I am not seeking a place that tells me what I want to hear. I am seeking a place that helps me so that I can get the living water, that I am not wasting my time being religious because she was a Samaritan. They worshiped in Samaria. And when they worshiped in Samaria, the Ark of the Covenant was not there nor the temple. The glory of God would never enter.
in Samaria, but religion was. Some of our churches, I have to admit that the glory of God is not in them anywhere, and Jesus had never been in the building. They have looked good, they have acted good, and they have sounded good, and people have felt comfortable there because they had people that were their age and people that were in their socioeconomic status and people that were politically like them and people who were racially like them. But I've come to tell you that most times when Jesus comes to a spot, it's a spot where nobody wants to hang out. There are some cool, good churches out there that are large churches. I'm not preaching against large churches, but I am trying to make us think, could it be that we, have re we need to reevaluate what we call real church in our authentic church series? Because I, I submit to you now that he's at a well at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person in an unlikely place, but wherever Jesus is, church is. There's somebody in prison that's in a bad place at a bad time. God is calling somebody in this room to go into prison to sit with them because wherever Jesus is and wherever you are because he's in you, church is. Oh, Jesus, is this helping anybody else this morning? Oh, Jesus. She says to this, me, sir, I believe that you are a prophet. So she defaults to religion. She starts a religious conversation. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that it is in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus said to her that I, I need you to pay close attention to this. Verse 21, it says, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So I'm going to read that to you again. Woman, believe me that the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Everybody said Jesus is revolutionizing worship. See, the woman, when confronted with her sin, defaults to religion. She starts to talk about where they worship. And Jesus was offering uh, living water. He was offering a true connection. But religion is more comfortable. We see, see, we can be religious and go through the motions while still remaining in our mess. We flock to churches that let us keep shacking. <laughs> and don't feel bad about it. We, we, we flock to churches that let us keep sinning and don't make us feel bad, bad about it. We, we flock to churches that let us stay in our mess, but we feel comfortable because we said we've been to church and we can live any kind of way in a religious environment and find no conviction from God. We flock to locations and sermons that will refill, replenish our religious appetite, but will require nothing from our lives. I want to say that again. We flock to locations and sermons that will fill our religious appetites, but will require nothing from our lives. We want church that gives us everything and requires of us that's a powerful thought because rather than continue her confrontational conversation about her life and who she was living with, that would have actually set her free. She pivoted the conversation to a place that was comfortable. How I have a parallel this morning, a hermeneutical bridge for you this morning, that how often is it that we ourselves, rather than expose ourselves to confrontational preaching that will bring real change in our lives, we often flock towards messages and messengers 
church that will not convict us of our sins, but help us to be comfortable in them. Oh, Jesus. But Jesus is about to challenge her. She's about to con- he's about to change her concept of worship. See, we, we relegate worship to what you do on on Sunday morning and worship can be broken down into two words, worship, to be able to show the worth of God. In other words, that I am honoring God in what I am doing. And many times we feel because we close our eyes in a dark lit building and, and lift our hands that that is worship. That is a form of worship. But Jesus gives her a revelation that's transformational because most of us think that we can only worship when the music is right. We can only worship when the band is playing. We can only worship when praise and worship is going we often think that it takes a song to worship but Jesus said the time is coming when you will neither worship in your church or the church down the street oh Jesus hallelujah that's what he's saying you won't worship in Samaria nor will you worship in Jerusalem that time is going away is the church going away no that's not what he's doing he is not giving a negative statement he is not constricting worship but Jesus is expanding worship he is looking for a church that wants to worship him every day he is looking for a church whose worship goes beyond the four walls worship is not confined to a day of the week worship is is expanded in the lives that we live every day. <laughs> worship is not living in the four walls of a building, but worship is living in the walls of your heart. Hallelujah. Worship is how you give glory to God. Can I tell you something? God is less concerned with you raising your hands in worship and more concerned with you lifting out your hands to serve. That's worship. God is less concerned about you lifting your hands and saying sweet things to him. He's more concerned with you opening your mouth and saying sweet things to your wife or your husband or your kids. God is less concerned about how many times you come to church. And I need to put a caveat here for those who are looking for excuses not to come to church. But he is more concerned about how many times you have church at home. He wants you to open your Bible on Sunday morning, but he also wants you to open it on Monday too. You don't need beautiful music to worship God. He, you can worship him with the fruit of your lips and your heart, and this is how I know it, because worship should bring glory to God, and worship is not restricted to the building. When you see a homeless person on the street and you share the gospel with them and you give them something to eat, that's worship. James said, Pastor Ernie, that true religion is taking care of widows and orphans. That is authentic worship. When you find people that have been lost and rejected, that is true worship. Jesus is glorified in that. God is glorified in that. Prove it, Pastor. I think I will. If you pull up your Bible, the Bible will say, For let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The Father is not just glorified in uplifted hands, but he's also glorified in outstretched hands that are there to help those that are around you. Oh, Jesus. 
This is transformational thinking because we have tried to cookie cutter worship. We have made formulas. I'm a worship leader. I've been a worship leader for the majority of my life now. And I watch people formulate worship, a certain type of dress, a certain type of genre, a style of music, a certain type of sanctuary, a certain look and a certain feel to get people to be in the mood for about five to ten minutes to raise their hand and feel all emotional. All that is fine and all that is good. But how are you living when the lights come back on? All that is good to give God worship and praise, but what's coming out of your mouth when you're mad at your husband? What's coming out of your mouth when you're mad at your wife or your parents? What's coming out of your heart? Because the walls of this building are irrelevant if the walls of your heart are filthy. Go and find your husband. What he's saying is I want to give you something, but there's some things that you got to get right and get cleaned up first and I want to let you know that I want to expand your concept of worship. It is time for the church to expand its concept of worship. Yes, keep singing. Yes, keep playing. Yes, keep raising your hand. Yes, keep praising, but don't forget to serve. Don't forget to love. Authentic worship is more than just emotion. An emotional transaction. But it's a spiritual interaction. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, his way of worship is transformational. The hour is coming when you will neither worship in this mountain or in Jerusalem. Don't worry about what church you're worshiping in. I'm worried about the temple that you're in because 1 Corinthians 3 tells us, Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? You are the church. Some of us don't want to go to churches. Why don't we want to go to churches? I don't want to be in there because I don't feel right. Why? I went and the worship was off. <laughs> I went and the worship was off. I wonder what would be said of you if somebody had to take residence in your heart. Would they come and say, I went to see, see Rodney. I went to see Haley. I went to see Willie. But I couldn't stay. Why? Because the worship was off. I saw how they spoke to their spouse. I saw how they treated their parents. I saw how they treated their friends. I saw how they looked over the people they didn't need. Jesus. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus' revelation is transformational. That authentic worship is not relegated to one day and one building. It doesn't matter who has the best praise team. It doesn't matter who has the best band. It doesn't have, matter who has the best worship leaders. It matters what's going on on the inside. Jesus has expanded worship from the walls. But not only has he said he was going to revolutionize worship and expand our concept of worship, Jesus. But I want you to repeat after me. Somebody said, the time is now. <laughs> I like what he says in verse 3. He says, but the hour is coming. And now is when the true Worshippers <laughs> will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. <laughs> For the Father is seeking such to worship him. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that when God is looking 
for people for worship, he's not looking to see what, how, how, how high of an octave you can sing. He's not looking for your passaggio point or your falsettos. He's not looking about if you need to use your diaphragm or if you're dynamic enough and know how to move around on the stage or if you know how to dress well or if you know how to bring people into worship and use catchphrases. I know, I doubt if he knows or wonders if you know what a paradiddle is for the drums or a riff is for the keyboard. I doubt if he know, cares if you know how to play a Hammond B organ. That's, the, that's not it. I hear David saying, it's these things you, uh, if, if I thought these things will please you I will bring them to you but I don't bring these things to you because I know what you want you require a broken heart and a contrite spirit God in this season of fasting in this season of, uh, of dispensation is looking for broken hearts and contrite spirits people who are not looking to be entertained but people who are hungry for his presence Jesus is giving us a hint of his eventual expansion to the Gentiles as well. He's not just going to have the gospel in Jerusalem, but he's going to go into Judea and Samaria and the utmost parts of the earth with his disciples. He's going to use them to do that, but he's letting them know that even if you don't praise me, I go find a no good heathen that's got the filthiest life in the world and I take them and I clean them up and I use them and they'll get glory out of my life. And I'll get glory out of theirs. They'll be glorified because they are my child. And I'll be glorified because they are living for me. Amen. Jesus has given us a hint of his eventual expansion to the Gentile. I hear him saying, if church folks won't worship me, I'll find somebody who will. Because the Bible said, he who loves much is forgiven much. I should, Jesus is saying, if I can't make you raise your hands, I go on the street corner and find somebody who's freezing and about to die and clean them up and take the tracks out of their arm and get them off of heroin and get them off of coke and get them off of all fentanyl and get them off of all these things. And I mean, I'll embarrass you. I'll take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and I'll let you sit here for 60 or 70 years and I'll bring a crack addict off of the street corner and raise him up to preach my word. Why? Because his heart is broken and he doesn't take me for granted. Who Jesus? Hallelujah. This is not a statement of prohibition. It is a statement of promotion. Worship is going to be increased and expanded. Jesus is saying no longer do you have to wait to come to the temple and wait for somebody to give a sacrifice for you. But in your car, you can bow your head and worship when things are not going your way. When life is going at you and you're sitting in the front of the house and you're so beaten down, you can't even go inside because you don't have enough in you to battle because you've been battling at work and you got a battle that you left at home and you know it's waiting for you in the side inside God has taken away the restrictions and you can sit in your car and say father I stretch my hand to thee no other help I know if thou withdraw thy hand from me oh whither shall I go you can begin to worship God wherever you You can begin to connect with him wherever you are. God is giving you access. Somebody shout access. 
<laughs> the veil of the temple is torn down. You don't have to wait for the pastor to start preaching. Uh, you can get in your car and preach to yourself. The Bible said, your belly shall flow, rivers of living water. Yes, come to church. We are not receding. We are proceeding. So you need the church, but you also realize don't just depend on just the church. You are the church. Get in your car and praise God. Get in your house and worship him. Worship him in the bathroom. <laughs> worship him in the garage. <laughs> worship him when you're cutting your grass. <laughs> Even when they're giving you hell on your job, sit in your cubicle and you don't have to be loud, but bow your head and begin to praise the name of God and say, God, I believe you. I believe you'll make it all right. I believe you'll take every situation and you'll turn it the way you want it turned. And I worship you right now. They're giving me trouble on my God, on my on my job, God. But I want to worship you. Why? Because it means more when it's tough, God. I want to go into an unlikely place to worship you. Most people, when their life is not working the way they want, their worship dries up. But Lord, I'm not going to waste this opportunity of pain and suffering in my life, even in the midst of sadness, even in the midst of sorrow. I'm going to let you know that although I'm hurting, you're bigger than my hurts and you're bigger than my pain. And although I have tears streaming. And they're not tears of worship. They're tears of pain. I still lift up my hands and say, you're still good all the time. And all the time you're good. And I worship you. And may my pain and suffering be a sacrifice on your altar. May my worship say you're good when my marriage is doing wonderful. May it say that you're good when my marriage is on the rock. May my worship say you're good when I got straight A's. May my worship say uh, that, that you're good even if I don't know I'm going to pass or fail. May my worship say you're good when I get the job. And may your worship say that you're good. May my worship say that you're good even when I'm scared I might not have a job tomorrow. It's time for the church to give authentic worship. The worship of God will not be confined to a specific location. The worship of God rests in the hearts of men. The worship of God is more personal and it adds more to corporate worship. That when you worship God personally, it gets more exciting corporately because I guarantee you those people that you see jumping on Sunday morning, those people that you see raising your hands on Sunday morning is because they've been praising on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and all you seeing is what they've been doing all week long. Why can't I praise like that because you're not doing it on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. I dare you just on Monday to get on your knee and Tuesday to lift your hand and Wednesday give a praise and Thursday sing a song and Friday praise the Lord and Saturday begin to bless his name and watch what happens on Sunday morning. I don't know if the power principle is up there. But I hear God saying, I'll find unlikely people in unlikely places and unli with unlikely paths. Why? They put it up there. What does it say? People who live in the desert value water. Leave that up there for a second. You can cut back to me. People who live in the desert value water. I wonder why she prays so hard. Because you don't know her story. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I don't know why he's always here before everybody else. <laughs> because he used to be an alcoholic and God has cleaned him up and he's great. <laughs> I don't know why they always so positive about church because they've been through hell and high water and you have been in the church all the time and religion has made you passive. But nothing makes a person appreciate water more than the absence of water. I had a country colloquialism that my grandmother used to say. You know what it was, Pastor Ernie? I didn't know what she meant. But she would say that she said, you don't miss your water till your well run dry. That preach right there, Brother Dave. <laughs> you don't miss your water <laughs> until your well run dry. <laughs> Sometimes we take God for granted. We can't wait till it snows because we're looking for an excuse to not come. And we're looking at our phone every five minutes to see the pastor tell him we're going to cancel church. You won't get it from here. <laughs> Why? Because my well has been dry before. And I appreciate my water. People who live, we can finish that sentence. Let's read it together. People who live in spiritual droughts value God. Let's say that one more time. Lord Jesus, I felt that. I feel like stopping the sermon and just worshiping. Right there. Say that again. That's the spiritual truth we need to get. Say it one more time. People who live in spiritual droughts value God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Water, which is synonymous with God and life and the spirit, has become common and taken advantage of by the Jews because they were raised with faith. Their worship had become religious, but there was a connection and hunger so much so that God himself, when he showed up among him, they didn't recognize him. They spent all this time worshiping God. And here it is. God wrapped himself in flesh, came down in, in swaddling clothes in a manger and walked among him. And they did not recognize him. Ain't it sad when the church don't recognize Jesus? They taking it for granted. And so Jesus went to the least and the lost, and they were wondering why these people would come to him. Why is it that this person hangs out with publicans and tax collectors and, prost and prostitutes and sinners? You know why? Because those people have been in a drought, and people who have been in a spiritual drought appreciate God. They know what it's like to OD. They know what it's like to be homeless. They know what it's like to be without food. They know what it's like to be without shelter. They know what it's like to be depressed and try every drug to get you to every high height and realize that no matter how many times I shoot drugs in my veins or I snort them through my nose, no matter how many times I try to use chemicals and do all sorts of things and drugs and alcohol, that every time I come off the high, life really hits me right back in the ground. And I realize that everything I've tried in the world that the world says will make me feel better. I've tried sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and none of it has worked. What's going to happen is they come to a conclusion that none of these things will do, and when they find Jesus and realize that he gives you more satisfaction than all those things that combine, they are on fire for God because people who have been in spiritual droughts appreciate the value of water. 
I'm afraid that the church has become so used to God that worship has been relegated to a formula. We use PCO, Planet Center Online, and all these things. We use them. But we cut the clocks off. Why? Because we want to give God time to work. Sometimes I put a clock on my sermon. Sometimes they remember to put it on or put it off. By halfway through, oftentimes I forget that that clock is even there. (laughs) Because we want to allow God time move. Can I do it in that time frame? Yes. But it's time for us to stop putting God in a box and a formula. Amen. And let God move. Yes. God is seeking those who want him in a personable personal way. Somebody shout I want water. <laughs> the Bible says that the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus says that if you really want me, I won't leave you thirsty. I tell you, there's nothing more refreshing. During the fast, I've I've been doing without several things for for most of the day, and I, I eat one time a day, and while I'm doing it, I, it's, it's helping me, and my daughter realized it too. I, I like soda sometimes, and, and I've been trying to do without those, and, and I haven't been getting them. So if I get one, and I walked the other day, and I, I just had the taste, particularly for one, I hadn't had one in a while. And, and, and it's a byproduct. You lose weight when you're fasting and stuff. That's great, but that's not why we're doing it. But I felt like I was, I, Lord, I'm wasting away. I need this soda. I didn't have one, and I was going through the house, and I said, my wife said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to get up, the, and I got to get in the car. Why? I said, because my, I have certain hours in which I fast, uh, from sunup to sundown, a little bit more, about 18, 20 hours. And when I do it, I said, my time is up. I'm fixing to go get my soda. My soul. I said, you don't have to do that. I already got one in the refrigerator. <laughs> How do you think that made me feel when I realized that my wife had anticipated my thirst and always already provided it for me before I even knew she had? So that when I got in my thirstiest, it was ready. Don't you know that there's a God that does the same? <laughs> Blessed are they <laughs> that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Yeah, I saw you when you were in the club. I saw you when you were at somebody's house you weren't supposed to be at. I know you wasn't ready yet, but I knew at some point in time you were going to be thirsty for me, and I've been preparing this. So when you finally gave your life to me and you're really thirsty for something else, I already got it waiting for you. For they shall be filled. Pull up the next power principle. We're almost out of here. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God. What does it say? The Father is seeking to reach people who will worship him in the context he deserves and not in the format we desire. I'm going to just let that ruminate for a second. How many times have we ever gone to a church? And they're not playing our type of music, and we, we just can't get into the worship. Anybody ever done that before? I don't know these songs, so I don't feel comfortable worshiping. That means because you got a formula for worship. If you're not playing CCM or gospel or my favorite music, I can't worship. I can't get into the mood. 
But he desires somebody who's going to worship him in the context he desires, which means if you're a true worshiper, you don't need music. They could sound like a bullfrog (laughs) and you could still worship God. The conclusion of the matter is that worship is a lifestyle. Worship expands far beyond the lifting of the hands. Worship lives in the expectation of a surrendered life. Worship is manifested powerfully in the surrendered life. What is more powerful to show of the worth to God than to honor him and the way we live our lives. To honor him and live for him when there is no one else around to applaud. When I grew up, I used to notice that when they cut on the praise music, certain people, everybody say certain people. When they got ready to dance, Brother Rodney, they couldn't ever dance in the back. <laughs> Somehow they, got, they can't get a good step until they get up here in the altar and get in front of everybody and start dancing. Then they'll start what they call cut a buck in the country. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You had to go and you had to be seen by men to get up in front and dance. If, if you're really getting caught by God that much and he hits you, he'll get you wherever you are. You won't be able to make it to the front. Worship is a presentation of the helpless. When we show dependency on the Father, it is an act of worship. When you say I have a major decision in my life of who to marry or what job to have or where to go to college or where to go to to postgraduate university, wherever, whatever the major decision is or where where to get my next meal, and you stop and you don't try to figure it out yourself, you get on your knees and you say, God, give me direction, that's worship. You are acknowledging that I need you. I beseech you, brother. When we show dependency of God, of the Father, it is an act of worship. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, the King James says, but a better translation would say, which is your spiritual act of worship. Expand your worship. Worship every day. Give God what he deserves. Let him live in you. Yes, show up in this building. I'm I'm, I'm surprised because it's snowing and we know how Michigan is. I'm happy for the people that I see here and we have a lot of people that are out and they're sick and things. You made it. You made it through the snow. Which you, it, you made it through everything. You still came and for those who are watching online, I want you to know if you didn't make it into the building, you are the church. Worship is in you. Honor God today by how you live. Some people don't have to go home like the woman at the well and get her husband and come here. But I never forget Pastor Miller. Pastor Miller would, when you get ready to preach, sometimes he'd bring the sons of the house in, Brother Rodney. And before they preach, <coughs> he wouldn't let them preach till he talked to their wife. He'd sit them down in front of their wife and say, How he treating you? (laughs) 
Because you ain't going to come preach to them. And you can't act right at home. Sometimes in church, maybe before we start lifting our hands, we need to start interviewing people and say, have you been worshiping all week long? (laughs) How you been talking to your husband and to your wife? How you been speaking to your kids? How many times did you show up late for work? How many times did you say something bad about your boss? That's your spiritual act of worship. As we prepare to leave today, I want you to know that God is seeking something pristine and authentic from us. Not just the formula of music and riffs and runs. Not just the look and the style. He's not just looking for the right buzzwords and the right catchphrases. He's not looking for the right lifted hands. We all got different ones from here to there to there, all the way up here. Everybody got their version of the lifted hand. He's not looking for that. He's looking for an authentic, broken heart that says, Lord, I love you, and I want to live for you every day of my life. That is the worship that the Father seeks, those that worship him in spirit and truth. You can't fake that, Victor. You can fake all that other stuff. I know some people who, don't, who, don't, who live like the devil and can dance better in church than anybody I know. But you can't fake your life. Amen. And as Brother Dave comes and we open up the altar and our prayer, prayer team comes, If you're online and you want to know God in an authentic way, if you want to really truly give him authentic worship, God is waiting to receive you today. And as I pray and Brother Dave gets ready to come, some are already at the altars. If you need prayer, you can come to our prayer team or pray wherever you are. I want you to know today that God loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And he wants to expand that relationship with you and fellowship with you every single day, not just on Sunday. He wants to be with you 24-7, seven days a week, all throughout eternity. Won't you give him your life? He'll take you places that you never thought you could go. Because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. What God has prepared for those who love him. Let's pray. God, I thank you. As the altar has already been opened and people are coming and people are coming for prayer, Lord God. That you've allowed us to be in this place, in this sacred space to worship you.